0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus, Word of God, reveal more of yourself to us through your presence in the Bible. Led by the Holy Spirit, guide our time of reflection. May it increase our desire for you in the Scripture and in the sacrament. Amen. Our first reading this weekend is a famous scene. It's the creation of Eve. Several commentators denote the importance of Eve being born out of Adam's side. There's a sense of equality implied in that Eve is taken not from Adam's head, nor from his foot, but from Adam's rib. Keep in mind that the society of the ancient Hebrews was very patriarchal, so even all those years ago, telling the story of Adam and Eve implied a sort of fundamental equality in the humanness, we could say, of women and men. When Adam responds to first seeing Eve, he speaks in poem. In fact, if you look at the text in a Bible or a missalette, you'll see that it's arranged like poetry. This is common in storytelling, that the climax of a story would contain a memorable short poem, like the one about the old man eating his shoe. The final verse of the first reading gives a bit of explanation. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and clings to his wife. Yet this word translated as leaves has more of a sense of forsake, because Back then, only very rarely did a son physically leave his parents in the home in which he grew up. In the vast majority of cases, the son continued to live in or near his parents' home, and his wife simply moved in. Literally, the son wouldn't leave his father and mother. We could say it was a real failure to launch. After hearing from the letter of St. James for the past five weekends, we pivot now to the letter to the Hebrews. We've talked about it before on this show. The letter is a homily that seeks to demonstrate how Jesus is the ultimate and forever high priest, and the one giving the homily pulls in all sorts of scripture to beef up his point. In our second reading at Mass, the homilist is using Psalm 8. Psalm 8 contrasts God's majesty with the insignificance of human beings, and yet human beings are the crowning glory of creation. It famously asks, What is man that you are mindful of him? The author of Psalm 8, speaking about human beings, says... Yet you have made him little less than a god. This was probably originally intended in a sense of space, in that human beings are a little below god, in godliness. Yet the homilist of the letter to the Hebrews tweaks the interpretation of little less to apply rather to a sense of time. Brothers and sisters, Jesus, for a little while, or we could say for a little less, was made lower than the angels, that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. As he continues in the homily, the speaker is going to take up what was one of the most common objections about Christianity at the time. Why would God willingly have chosen to suffer? Remember that in this society, and it still kind of applies today, suffering in life was seen as a curse from God. And the more one suffered, the more that meant God was angry and cursing that individual for some reason. The ideal life was one without any sort of suffering, where everything is made in the shade. So if Jesus is God, why would God have wanted to suffer on the cross? What's the response to such a question? Well, the author says that it was fitting that he, he being God, should make the leader to their salvation perfect through suffering. Remember that an important dimension of the high priest's ministry was one of solidarity. Since he too suffered from the human condition, the high priest could offer sins on behalf of the people, but with an awareness of his own struggles as well. That's the sense being conveyed here, too. If Jesus is the ultimate and forever high priest, he can even be in solidarity with human beings in their suffering and struggle. We will hope to understand some background about divorce at the time of Jesus to better interpret our gospel passage. You see, divorce didn't really require nearly the same sort of elaborate procedure it does today. All a man needed to do at the time was to declare that he no longer wished the marriage to continue based upon sufficient grounds, draw up a bill of divorce, and present that bill to his wife. Boom! That was it! This is what is referred to by the Pharisees. Moses speaks in the book of Deuteronomy about when a man becomes displeased with his wife because he finds in her, quote, something indecent. Now, there was all sorts of debate in Jesus' time about just what constituted this something indecent that Moses talks about. One school of thought, the Shammai, took a strict interpretation, saying that only improper sexual conduct could apply. On the opposite end, The Hillel school claimed that the grounds for divorce could be just about anything, even a spoiled dish, or if the man found another woman more beautiful than his current wife. And bringing up this question, the Pharisees want to see where Jesus lies in the debate about something indecent. And you'll remember also that when John the Baptist spoke up against Herod's unlawful marriage, he got in trouble and even lost his head. So it could be that the Pharisees are also trying to get Jesus on Herod's naughty list. But above it all, Jesus takes a hardline approach and says that God's intention is not for any divorce to occur. He references the passage from Genesis as indication that what God has joined together, no human being must separate. So that's it. That's your Sunday setup for this 27th Sunday in Ordinary Time in Year B. May this knowledge of the story behind the scripture allow you to encounter Jesus Christ in a new way this weekend. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.